Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I've got a really exciting message today on humility. <laughs> I was thinking about calling this something like the happiness of humility or humility the happy way because, you know, sometimes those humility messages can really get like, you know, down, <laughs> introspective, but really, really, you know, even like that last song we sang, I didn't pick it on purpose, but it worked out. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Give your all to Jesus. There's a freedom. There's a freedom in surrender. There's a load-lifting, burden-lifting lightness when you come to Jesus. And you realize that somebody bigger than you, smarter than you, and more capable than you is taking care of you. <laughs> you don't have to do it all yourself. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. You don't have to do it all yourself. We're working with somebody who's really smart and really good and very well resourced. Amen? Amen. So... Somebody asked Bruce Lee. You won't hear me preach about Bruce Lee very much, so listen closely. Somebody asked Bruce Lee if he was really that good, and his answer was, and I found this on the internet, so I'm sure it's true. His answer was, if I tell you I'm good, probably you'll say I'm boasting. But if I tell you I'm not good, you'll know I'm lying. Because from what I understand, he was really that good. And everybody knew he was really that good. See, our culture, in our culture, we admire skill and competence, don't we? And confidence, we admire confidence. You know, in musicians who can just play well, or, you know, athletes who can just deliver every time. We put up with a lot of boasting, don't we, when they, when they can deliver. Even in, you know, even preachers, I love to hear a preacher who's confident. You know what I mean? He might be wrong, but he's confident. <laughs> he stirs me up because of his confidence, you know? Um... The, our culture, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. But our culture gives a lot of grace to the proud, don't we? We give a lot of grace to the proud. You just keep on hitting the, making the touchdowns and we'll keep on cheering you on. And you can be as proud as you want to be, right? Interesting. But you know, I was thinking, for real, I was trying to think, what could you do for humility? happiness and humility or whatever. But if I would have decided to preach on pride, something like the power of pride, I think that would get the world's attention, don't you? I could talk about the benefits of building pride into your life. Self-confidence. Don't take nothing from nobody. <laughs> you don't have to be behind anybody. You don't have to come second place, right? I will tell, tell you of the effects of developing and cultivating pride into your life, of laying this foundation of pride in your heart and mind. But in addition to all that, what I'd have to say is this. Pride will make you self-centered. Pride will set you up for a fall, humiliation. Pride will build in you the nature of the devil, and you'll be like him. What caused him to fall? Pride. Pride will open the door to confusion and every other evil practice. It's true. There's a Bible verse. That one's up. James 3.16. Pride will wear you out trying to maintain your reputation. Pride will isolate you because you won't be able to trust anyone. 
because you'll always be questioning their motives. And pride will set you in opposition to God, and it will prevent you from receiving His grace. That's the reality of pride. But our culture, we, we tolerate pride. We tolerate it. We honor it. We give grace to it. But God gives grace to the humble. Question, does our culture value humility? I mean, sometimes we get irritated by a boastful person or whatever, but do we really value humility? Humility. Value humility. We say we do, but in reality, um, we kind of see sometimes humble people as weak, right? I think in, uh, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. It says this, Now therefore, this is Paul, he's correcting the Corinthians. Almost every time you read Corinthians, Paul is correcting somebody. <laughs> the whole letter is like a letter of correction, it seems like. That's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, half of it is a fundraiser. He's raising an offering. And then 1 Corinthians is a bunch of correction. But he says, Now therefore, it's already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. So they were taking one another to courts in the church. He says, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and you cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Why would He's, he's saying, you're already failing because you're not willing to be wrong. He's saying, the solution for you guys is quit suing each other. Let yourself be cheated. Who cares? That goes totally against the culture, doesn't it? Completely against the culture. In fact, I used to do a bus ministry, and I would—I remember one specific time, I suspended two kids for fighting, and I took them home. And I told their parents, and they looked at me like I was crazy. It's like I teach them to fight, I teach them to stand up for themselves. I'm like, well, you do what you want to do, but I just can't have them doing it on my bus. You know what I'm saying? But God, Paul says, why would, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather let somebody take advantage of you? That doesn't make any sense, does it? goes totally against our culture today. But here's the thing. Humility is the foundation of everything that we receive from God. Look at Matthew 23, verse 12. It says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So my question is this. Is there really a promotion from God for those who are humble? Or is this just what humble people say? Weak people say to make them feel good. <laughs> good question. You know, like, what's the saying? It doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, winners don't usually say that. <laughs> That's usually the loser, right? Because if you play the game right, you win. Is there really promotion for those who are humble? What does it mean to be humble? Listen to this. Humble is letting go of your own cares and concerns and trusting them to somebody else. Humble, humility, is giving up, trying to fix it yourself, and letting your wife do it for you. <laughs> letting somebody who knows what they're doing fix it for you. Being humble is being completely dependent on another's ability to save you. Being humble is admitting that you're lost and, guys, asking for directions. <laughs> takes great, great strength of humility <laughs> for me to ask directions or turn around. I like to keep going and find another way back out. I don't turn around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, being humble is uh, seeing others as more important than yourself. 
The truth is we are just not naturally, outside of Jesus, we are not naturally wired for humility. And our culture is not naturally wild for, wired for humility. It takes faith and trust to believe that somebody else can look after your concerns as much or more than you will. It's not easy to admit when you're wrong or lost. You need directions. You need help. I did a ropes course one time, you know, with those team building exercises where they teach you trust, you know? It was pretty neat. A lot of fun. 20 feet in the air, hanging on. They're like, just let go. You know, they have the, the belaying and they have the rope and everything. Just let go. It's like, okay. I had to trust them. Of course, I lifted two of them in the air and my feet hit the ground before I stopped. But I didn't get hurt. It was good. But that's what we need to do with God. We let go. And we trust ourselves into His care. You see the freedom in that? Because once you let go, somebody else is in control of making sure you don't hit the ground. I really wanted this to be a happy message. I really did. <laughs> it's so quiet. I really was trying to make it exciting. But humility is trust. Some people up on the course, you know, they would get so scared they wouldn't let go. They'd get up there on that on that tight wire and they'd hang on to the tree and they wouldn't even let go to cross themselves, right? Sometimes you've got to let go if we're going to go on with God. Sometimes he'll call us to a place that he will show us. And when he called Abraham, he said, leave your family, your household, and go to a place where I will show you. Amen. It wasn't a place. He didn't spell it all out for him, did he? He said, go to a place where I will show you. And he said, okay, I trust you. I'll go. What God told Paul in Acts 26, Acts 26, 16. I have appeared to you for this purpose. This is what he knocked him down. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen, which was the blinding light, and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. You're going to be a witness of the things that I will show you. Paul said yes, and he didn't even know where he was going. He'd just been introduced to the Christian life. He'd been an enemy of it. God calls him, and he gives him a yes. Let's see, where, let's see where God will take us. Sometimes we have to go and say yes to God before he spells out all the details. Probably like joining the military or something, right? You give them your yes, and then all the other decisions belong to somebody else. You can put in your request, but it's pretty much just a request, isn't it? Anybody seen the new heavens and the new earth lately? Even the Bible doesn't say a lot about the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we're headed. He hasn't spelled it all out. We don't know a whole lot about it, but we trust him. We trust him to take us there. The humble person is a trusting person. Humility is letting go and trusting yourself to the care of another. That's why humility is the foundation for faith. Because proud people trust only themselves. Humble people are trusting. Humble people trust God. It's kind of like this. Josh could probably tell you about this. Whenever, you know, somebody's a nervous person flying in an airplane, you're hanging on to the seat. <laughs> and they're nervous, every little bump they're grabbing on because they're afraid, afraid of flying. Well, here's the thing. You might as well just relax and sit back, put your whole weight back in that seat because the reality is you're not holding up the airplane. <laughs> grabbing onto that armrest is not going to help that airplane stay in the air if you hit a bump. 
you might as well just sit back, put your whole weight in the seat, relax your arms, because realize that your whole weight is already. It's in that seat, it's on that airplane, you're not holding it up. And that's what we need to do with God, relax. Let go, put your whole weight on Him, cast your burdens on Him, because He cares for you. Amen? Amen? It's good, isn't it? Humble people trust God. Humility is a rest. It's to stop trying to do it yourself and rest while God works it out for you. It's a release from the cares of this world. It's also a prerequisite to coming to God for salvation. See, proud people don't think they need a Savior. Remember what Jesus said to the rich man? Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because the rich man, he trusts in his riches. He won't let them go. He doesn't believe he needs a savior because he's got what he needs. He thinks. Humility is honesty. <clears throat> the first, you know, the 12-step the recovery programs like AA was the very first step. Honesty. After many years of denial, I found this one on the internet too, after many years of denial, recovery can begin with one simple admission of being powerless over alcohol for AA. For alcohol, or powerless over alcohol for alcoholics and their friends and family. See, it takes, it takes humility to be honest. There's my, I was going to pick up my phone. There's my phone right there. Um, you know, when you're out driving around, if you want to use your GPS, whenever I type in an address to go to a new customer's house or something, I type it in. What's the first thing my GPS does is it acquires my location, right? Because you've got to know where you are, where you're starting from, to know where you're going to go. You know, I could say, deny, deny, deny. <laughs> it won't be able to probably make something up. <laughs> get me really lost. But you've got to be honest about where you are and where you start. And a humble person is honest about where he is. And that is, applies especially for salvation, coming to Jesus to say, I am lost. I'm a sinner. I need something I don't have. I need rescue. I need help. But also anywhere in life. I mean, if we keep denying, our, denying where we presently are, we'll never change to get where, to where we need to be. And so when we come to the reality, I need help. I need to change this. You know, I've been acting this way, and I need to be that way. That's the first step to growth and improvement. So humble people are honest people. Humility, humility is at the root of faith, rest, honesty, and acceptance by God. In fact, humility is the basis of for all of the Christian qualities. Because why? God works in through our lives by grace. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I know you guys got it all memorized. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the Bible says God resists the proud that gives grace to who? The humble. So if you resist, if he's resisting you, and he's not giving you grace because of your pride... Are you going to be able to enter into salvation? Hmm. Humble people will receive the free gift. It's not earning it. It's just the character, the quality of a person you can receive. Hmm. 
I mean, it's evident. You just have to look around you. You know, Jesus said the sower went out and sowed the word, and that word fell on four different kinds of soils, didn't it? They all did not respond the same, but the seed was the same. He's given this grace gift to all of us. He's made it available equally. But you just have to look around to know that people receive it differently and respond differently, don't you? Well, the humble heart is the one that will receive the grace to change and the grace to grow. Humility, it's a happy thing. It really is. It's a good thing. Humility, the happiness of humility. Or happy, happy, humble. I don't know. Help me come up with an EJ. You got one. Abby, you've always got good names. She was trying to come up with a name for a men's group the other week. So come up with a sermon title for me, okay? Something about happiness and humility, okay? Thank you. The gateway. <laughs> happiness, the gateway. None of this. No, humility is the gateway. There's no alliteration there, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's, try, let's try to keep with the alliteration. Yeah. All right. I'm glad you guys put up with me. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so humility, basically, you know, when you go to the buffet and you take your plate and you fill up all your... Your food on there. Humil- humility is basically the plate that you go to the buffet with to fill up all the good things you get from God. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. See, no plate, no steak, no potatoes, no cornbread, right? No plate, no humility, no grace, no faith, no favor, right? So humility is the foundation for all that we receive from God. Matthew twenty-three twelve says this. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you know the difference between being humble and being humbled? (laughs) It's better to be humble than to be humbled. Would you agree? Humility is better than humiliation. Amen. Being a gracious winner is humility. But celebrating before the wind is secured, only to have someone come from behind and take it from you, that's humiliation. Giving up your seat for another is humility. But being asked to give up your seat for a more important person, that is humility. Asking for help is humility. Needing to be rescued because you refuse to ask for help, that is humility. That will humble you. There's a reward with humility. But there's shame in humiliation. So Jesus tells the story. Luke 18, 9. He says, two men go up to the temple to pray. He starts off with this. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So I want you to picture this. Right there in the crowd where Jesus was teaching... There were some in the crowd who had these two qualities. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they despised others. So he's addressing this to specific people. So they were self-righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They were self-righteous, which does not lead to acceptance by God. Amen? Self-righteousness does not lead to acceptance by God. Also, they viewed others with contempt. Contempt just means to despise, to think less of. So they were self-righteous, and they were also uh, looking down on others. Do you remember the verse we read, um, well, two weeks ago, I think it was now, 
of 2 Corinthians 5.16, right before 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a natural point of view. Though once we regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Right? So they were self-righteous looking down on everybody. But if I look at you from a godly point of view, not a worldly point of view, what will I see? I will have to see somebody who is precious in the sight of God. The object, you are the object of God's affection. You are the one that he poured out his blood for. You are the one that he came to rescue. You're the one that he's interceding for at the right hand of the Father. But these self-righteous people couldn't see that. They just thought they were better than everybody else. They're looking down on them. Didn't give them the grace, did they? You see the difference between pride and humility? See, but God has actually chosen the weak and the foolish. Go with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26. He has actually chosen the weak and the foolish to shame the wise and the mighty. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. And you be, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. See, that puts us all on level playing field, doesn't it? You're not so much better than anybody else that he can't take that person. You know what he'll do? According to this verse, he'll take that person who's foolish and weak and despised. And he'll use them just to, what's it saying? To put to shame those things that are. He'll use them just to let you see it. How much better to be humble. God has chosen the weak and the foolish things to shame the wise and the mighty. Now humility, that's an interesting thing. How I relate to others has everything to do with how I relate to God as my Father. And I really don't like that, to be honest with you. Because I like to say, oh, I love God. But you know what? If you love God, what do you do? You love others. It's a characteristic of actually knowing Him and meeting Him, spending time with Him, is our love for one another. You know, sometimes I, I have this longing to be spiritual and spend hours praying or studying or reading books, you know, reading the Bible or books about the Bible. But sometimes the most spiritual thing I can do is just spend time with my kids. Really? Or spend time with a friend, with some of you guys, or my family. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that is more spiritual. Why? I, have a, I, I, I know a preacher who always says it like this. How you do life is how you do faith. How you do life is how you do faith. See, sometimes we think we can live a certain way, and then we come over to God and turn on the faith switch. You can receive anything we want. But faith is really how I live my life. Because faith is a relationship. Everything's relationships. And I don't become a different person just because now I want to receive something from God, do I? Mm -mm. How I live and how I interact and respond and give and receive with other people is how I live and respond and give and receive and interact with God. How you do life is how you do faith. The way we live our natural lives is the way we receive supernatural things from God. It's just not that different. 
That's why when Jesus came, he put, he put everything in the language of the people. It's like, you, you know how fishing works, don't you? Talking to fishermen. You walk there, you cast out a net. Yeah, we do that. <laughs> I mean, they, they were experts at it. Well, the kingdom of God is just like that. It was like a guy who went out and planted a seed, or sowed seed. You know how that works, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just out there doing it, waiting for the crop to grow. Well, the kingdom of God is just like that. So there's things in the natural world that the kingdom of God is just like in your world. <clears throat> Josh, I grew up listening to pilots talk of preacher pilots who talked about airplane examples. I mean, there's a ton of airplane examples, you know. Uh, there's a ton of uh, just whatever you do. There, there are relationships because how you do life is how you do faith. It's just not that different. The supernatural and natural are just really not that far apart. That's why you can be supernaturally natural or it can be naturally be supernatural. I mean, you are a spirit. Right now, you are a spirit. You primarily are a spirit. Now, I mean, the goal is to, uh, you know, mortify the deeds of the flesh and, and not give into that nature so that that spirit can express himself or herself fully, right? But you are, you are supernatural right now. The worlds aren't that far apart. How you do life is how you do faith. So how I relate to one another affects my relationship with God. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, at that altar, you remember that your brother has something against you. This is Jesus talking, okay? He says, leave your gift there at the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So it seems here that your relationship with your brother has something to do with how your gift is received from God. Or whether it's received or not. <coughs> See how my relationships affect my relationship with God. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Sometimes just reading it the way it says, don't even explain it. Listen, if he says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's strong. He's lying. If you hate your brother, you don't love God. You are lying. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I think sometimes people think they love God. But he's saying if you can't love your brother who you see, you can't love God who you don't see. They don't quite fully understand that. But there's something in you that truly connects to loving people. Your love muscle, if you will. That, that if you can't, it's, in other words, it's easier to love somebody you can see than somebody you can't see. Because if you say you love God who you can't see, uh, he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And didn't Jesus say in John 13, 35, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That is the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus, our love for one another. Hmm. And I know I'm saying this in a very loving church. I mean, you guys are just awesome. I mean, you guys are so kind to me. I don't know how you treat each other, but everybody's really kind to me. I feel loved here. I've been here for a few years. I feel loved. Uh, and um, keep it up. Increase it. Do it more. Make sure people, when they come from the outside and come and join us, make them feel that love. 
Because that is the distinguishing mark of being a Christian, our love for one another. Let's get back to the uh, Luke parable there. Um, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And here it is. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the most holy, <laughs> the most holier than thou maybe I should say, Pharisee, and the most despised in the culture, the tax collector. He always picks like two extremes, right? So you got the most holy and the most despised. This Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I like that, because it sounds like God's not even listening, because he's pretty much just praying to himself. <laughs> it's just his own show. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax collector. For I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and I am self-righteous, and I am proud, and I don't know God if he's standing right in front of me, because Jesus was telling that parable that was God in the flesh right in front of him, and he couldn't recognize God, because he's self-righteous. Because self-righteousness says, well, I do this and this and this and this, and I don't do this and this and this and this. But you don't know God, because that's not how you relate to God. Never mind your heart is evil. Never mind that you're far from God. Never mind that He's not extending you know, grace to you because of your arrogance and your pride. But you got a good resume. And the tax collector was saying to this, verse 13. The tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, there's an eloquent prayer. One sentence, be merciful to me, a sinner. But it was real. It was from his heart. And God heard it. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified, accepted by God, right before God, rather than the other. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah, humility is the better way. Amen? Amen. Amen. I've been speaking um, uh, for the last several weeks on uh, Jesus' ministry at the right hand of the Father. Last time I preached was two weeks ago. I showed you a picture of him at the right hand of the Father. Do you remember when John the Revelator saw him and uh, he fell down as though he were dead? It describes him in the book of Revelation. Remember the disciple Jesus loved, the one who would lean on him uh, when he was with him, when they were dining. Now, and John, he would go on to write, you know, there's no fear in love because fear has torment. Perfect love drives out fear. And then when he sees Jesus in his glory, he falls down and he hits the deck, right? And then Paul, when he was writing, Saul Paul, when he was going to Damascus to uh, arrest the Christians and Jesus appeared to him, bright light, Paul knocked off his horse. Jesus in his glory. Powerful thing. I've been, I've been preaching about that because, see, we're a continuation of Jesus' ministry at the right hand of the Father. That's a foundation and principle that, that when we realize that the burden is not on us to do the, the supernatural, we cooperate with Him. It's His ministry working through us. That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit to express that through us. What we need to do sometimes is get out of the way. Sometimes our pride and our knowledge and our arrogance will stand in the way. And we just need to step out, be humble, humble people. 
Grace flows through humble people. Amen? Love, trust, all these good things are all based on being humble. Humility. Humility before God. Humility before one another. So, uh, but see, Jesus actually had that glory with God in the beginning. Right? And then he says he emptied himself. But once he emptied himself, he had to go through exactly what he's telling us to go through to become exalted. Okay? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded and having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Do you realize how impossible that has to be for Paul to ask that? Be one mind, be one accord. You know what? We can start by being humble. We can start by realizing we don't know everything. We can start by not shutting out people out of our lives who have different viewpoints. You know, I'm not saying to go with rank heresy or anything like that. But you know, even then. How are they going to be reached if you have the truth and they're completely in error? Your love and your acceptance of them, not because they're right, but because of their value before God, will go a long way in winning them. Amen? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. See, this is the opposite of humility. Selfish ambition and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each esteem others. See, we're so caught up in our culture in what? Self-esteem. I need self-esteem. I need to feel better about myself. But here, Paul is telling us we need to be more concerned about other esteem. Maybe if we would concentrate on other esteem instead of self-esteem, we would step into what God has for us. Maybe we would receive that grace to grow and receive all the other things from God. It's good, isn't it? Esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, it's not, it's not wrong looking for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. I'm going to pause there and go to Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the, as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, he's not asking us to do anything that Jesus didn't already do. The way to exaltation in the kingdom of God is to become a servant to your brothers and sisters. Become a servant to those that Jesus died for. Hmm. Amen? So let's continue. Back to Philippians. Pick it up at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now that word there, where it says consider it robbery, I really think it's... This is the New King James I'm reading. Um, I think some of the other translations probably bring it out a little clearer. Um, the word actually means something to be seized or held onto, or something that one has but he doesn't use it to his own advantage. You know. So I just got to thinking. You know, what are the, some of the things that we grab onto and won't let go because we have a right to it? 
You know what I mean? Jesus didn't, it says, well, it says he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. But in the other translation, it says, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. The ESV says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The NASB, I think, is the best. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, hung on to, used for his advantage. Um, it's really complex because, you know, Greek has all these tenses. And so when you say, he already existed in the form of God, it's implied in the tenses that he already was in the beginning, yet he did not consider that equality with God something to grasp. And I got to thinking, what are some of the things that we grasp onto that we could let go? For God, just like if Jesus could let go of this characteristic that put him in this glory before he came to earth, what can we as Christians let go of? You know, the Bible says um, to pray. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Honestly, do you ever pray that prayer? I never pray that prayer. Because after we go eat, I'm going to go get some food, and I'm going to pull out my debit card, and I won't pay for it. I don't, I don't pray that because I don't need to. Well, maybe I should pray that prayer. You know, maybe I should not grasp onto my ability to provide for myself, but actually give God a chance to provide for me in some of those areas. Do you get what I'm saying? It's kind of an, an exercise. Will I give up my right for a comfortable life to serve God in another country? So missionaries do. They give up their right to, to, to be in this country and go to a place maybe where it's challenging. They don't know the culture. They don't know the language. And they go to another culture to serve God and serve God's people there. Will I give up my right, you know, to a good night's sleep to stay up with a friend who needs counsel or something? We don't need to grasp onto our rights all the time. If Jesus could lay aside his divinity in that way, we surely can give up a night's sleep. I mean, what what's too big for us to give up, right? So... It says, who has already existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, who in the history of the Bible was grasping at equality with God? I can think of two. The devil and even Adam. Because the temptation was, take this and you'll be like him. Mm -hmm. He didn't know he was already like him. Take this and you'll be like it. Grasp at being equal with God. See, there are two systems. Our culture values pride the strong way. But really the strong way is the way of humility, isn't it? Hmm. So let this mind be in you, which is in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Okay? So this is when he was still with the Father. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God 
has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those of heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at verse 7. He made himself of no reputation. Right? He humbled himself. Okay, who humbled himself? He did it to himself, right? He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. Therefore, verse 9, who exalted him? God highly exalted See, he's not asking us to do anything that he didn't do himself. He had to trust himself to God. I'm going to close with this. If you'll go with me to 1 Peter, chapter 5. First Peter 5, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on, on him, because he cares for you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because why? How I relate to my brothers and sisters is how I relate to God. Right? Because my humility toward you determines God's grace toward me. He's opposed to the proud. See? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God is opposed to the proud and He gives grace to the humble. He sees how we treat one another. And I'm not going to be arrogant to you all, and then humble to God, am I? I'm not. Now there's confidence. I mean, we need to speak in confidence. I'm not saying to be a wimp and always be second-guessing ourselves. We can say things with confidence and be direct and, and, and secure in ourselves. But I mean the, the foolish boasting and thinking you're more than you are. You go and act like that around people and try to keep a reputation for yourself when Jesus made himself of no reputation. Hmm. It's a lot easier if you don't have a reputation to maintain. There is rest. That's what it says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he had cares for you. See, there's anxiety in pride. But there's a freedom. There's a rest. There's a surrender. Because when he exalts you, when he places you, at that next promotion that's yours, that's coming, because of how you act toward him and toward others, it's solid, it's secure. You don't have to puff it up. You don't have to defend it. It's God working in your life. It'll be evident to all. He likes honoring people. If you make yourself that weak, <laughs> despised person, he'll exalt you just as put to shame somebody else who's the proud, arrogant one, right? right? Now, the world doesn't always work that way, but that's how the kingdom works. And there's freedom in that. Happiness! <laughs> in humility it's a happy thing it's a good thing I just want to talk about humility Jesus at the right hand of the Father went through humility trusting God exalted to the right hand of the Father your promotion your exalt, your next exaltation your promotion your advance in the kingdom is to be a servant to somebody the most important people in God's kingdom are the servants we should be we should be uh, competing with one another, seeing how much we can serve. And Jesus has already set the bar pretty high, so... <laughs>
<laughs> we got a long way to go. But uh, praise God, He'll help us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank You for this Word. I know sometimes we don't want to jump up and run around the room when we hear this, but I really do believe that humility is an entrance into all the good things You have for us. Mm. Humble people are the people who carry the Spirit of God. Humble people are the people who, who exercise power. Humble people are the people who have authority in the kingdom. And Father God, I just pray that you open our hearts to this, and you open our minds to this, and you remind us of this in our lives, and cause us to grow in humility, and in love, and service, and faith, and trust toward you, and toward one another. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.